Good morning. So good to be with you guys to worship. I'm excited about us continuing on and finishing out this series. Uh, as we get started for today, would you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be looking at a uh, passage and kind of finishing up a section of a, of a passage that we've been talking about for three weeks, and the topic for the last two weeks of these three uh, is the same as today. We're talking about how God loves us more. If you remember, I kind of started by talking about how that happens at my house on a regular occasion, how we talk about the, the love that we have for one another. You probably had that happen in your home at some point or another where somebody says, hey, I love you, and you say to them what? I love you, or I love you more, right? I'm the competitive. I love you more. And so we will start that competition. My kids will then go, well, I love you more than the ocean, or I love you more than the moon and back, and I love you more, and we just try to outdo it. I think I said a couple weeks ago that one of my sons finally beat me by saying I love you more than Auburn right? He kind of won. So uh, that was pretty awesome. And uh, sometimes, though, they'll say things like, well, I love you more than Jesus, and I'll always stop and say, nope, not possible. You can't use that one because that's not true. You can never love me more than Jesus loves me, and you can never love more than the great and the value of Jesus. And so I try to make sure our kids understand that, although they're just trying to one-up me. They don't know, right? Uh, but we're trying to instill that in them. And one of the things that uh, I want us to understand, as we talked about last week, because we had a hard topic, a hard sermon, I think, we talked about election, we talked about what goes on in chapter uh, 1, verse 4 of Ephesians, when Paul's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Ephesus, and he talks about how God has chose us as believers in Christ before the foundation of the world. And uh, that's, a, that's a hard topic to talk about. Today, he's going to continue that on in the text. So I'm going to read through the kind of the, the paragraph here, and then we're going to stop and pray and then kind of just dive in. Um, I, I want us to uh, be ready, though, before we to read to kind of think about some things. So I want you to think about this as we read. I think many of us, I think many of us, not just in the South, but in the Western world completely, in the church, we, a lot of us ascribe to a tongue-in-cheek Christianity, or to a cheap grace kind of Christianity. Now, I don't mean that necessarily that our church overarchingly thinks that or feels that, but I'm saying just in general in Christianity and the people that say that they're believers in Christ, that overall we have a lot of cheap grace going on and a lot of tongue-in-cheek Christianity. The kind where it's a lot more about me and what I want and my desires than it is about what God wants and what His desires are. The kind that's a lot more about getting what I need from God instead of realizing I've been bought and paid for out of my debt to sin by God, and it's no longer I who live for self, but it's Christ that lives within me now. And so we have this kind of cheap grace that goes on, or this kind of what I would call tongue-in-cheek Christianity. And I think today we're going to kind of hit that really hard as we look at what it means to be a follower of Christ as we sum up this series here. Uh, Also, before we read, just know this. Verse 3 through 14 is actually one long sentence in the Greek. Remember us talking about that? So this, we're, we're just kind of taking a piece of it. We're going to come back later and carry on to the next phases of this one long sentence. But for us, we're going to stop today at the end of verse 6. So let's, let's read verses 3 through 6 of Ephesians 1, and then we're going to uh, just pray together and ask the Lord to guide our time. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, 
he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, who is Jesus. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would take us through this today, that we would be impacted and changed and shaped more into the image of Christ, your Son. And that, Lord, as we are dealing with things that are difficult for us to think on, I pray that you would take it beyond our thinking, Lord, and you would press it into our hearts, that we would be made different, that we'd be more fashioned into how we were originally created to be in the image of your Son. So God, would you work in us, would you change us, and would you help us to love you more because you've loved us more first? We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's break down the passage a little bit. Let's start back in verse 3 and kind of unpack 3 and 4 till we get to our text for today, which is verses 5 and 6. Let's just do some reminders as we go. Look at verse 3. Paul's starting off again in worship, and he just says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, he's saying, worship, adore, praise God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, in Jesus, with every spiritual blessing that's in all the heavenly places. In other words, that in Christ we have all we need, all we need for this life and the life to come. We have everything in Christ. And he has blessed us and given us this blessing of Jesus. And that because of that, we now worship him, we adore him, we praise him. It's a command from Paul saying, worship the Lord because he's given us Jesus. And he's everything we need, right? And now he's going to break down for the next verses 4 through 14. He's going to break down all the different pieces that make up why we should worship the king. And this first one we talked about last week in verse 4. Look, even as he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world. In other words, that before we were ever thought of, before we had ever been conceived, before we had ever, in the first person ever placed on the earth, before the earth had ever been put into motion, he chose us. If you are in Christ, if you put your hope in Jesus, if you repented and believed in Christ, he's talking to you. He says, he has chosen us. That's hard for us because we want to be the one doing the choosing, right? But the truth of the matter is is that we are so sinful, that we've missed the mark so much. That's what it means to be a sinner. We've missed the mark. We're created to be in the image of God in order to reflect his perfection, his goodness, his glory, his greatness. And we have missed that mark so much that in Romans, Paul says, we've fallen short of the glory of God, that all have sinned, that all of us are in that boat. There's no one righteous, no one that seeks after God, no, not one. And so the only way that we begin to do that is because before the foundation of the earth was laid, he chose us. Now that's beyond our understanding, right? It doesn't negate our responsibility. We still have the responsibility to believe in Christ. The scriptures talk about that we can still refuse Christ and that that's our responsibility to refuse him. But he says, if you're mine, it's because I chose you. And he is sovereign over all things. And so our hope rests not in our ability to stay good or be good. Our hope rests in the ability of God to do the right choosing, right? And his sovereignty and his ability. Look, it says again, even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, here's the reason, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Remembering this, right? 
that he did all this so that we would be holy and blameless before him. But the problem is, right, brothers and sisters, is that we're not holy or blameless in ourselves, are we? We fail all the time. We miss the mark all the time. We do things we shouldn't do. We don't do the things we should do. We are not holy or blameless. And so that's why he sent Jesus. It's why it says in Christ. All the way throughout this thing, everything always says in Christ, through Christ, for Christ, in Christ, over and over and over again because he sent him who is the perfect, holy, righteous son of God to become one of us to live the life we could not live, to be blameless, to be without fault, to be holy. In our place, he then stood condemned on the cross. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange where we gave our sins over to him and he wore our sins on and endured the wrath for our sins and he declares us righteous, legally giving us his righteousness. So he declares us righteous while he was the one who truly was righteous so that when he died the death that we deserve and then rose in victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell, the debt has been paid and he has victory over death and we then can be declared righteous and blameless. So we are not blameless, but here when he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, we could not do it. So we've been declared righteous by God because of the sacrifice of Christ. Isn't that good news? That is good news, right? And that's where we left last week, and we're picking up now, right at the end here, the first two words are actually in verse 4 in a lot of your Bibles. It says, in love. Now, just as a reminder, those two words could go with verse 4 or verse 5. I don't think we have to make a decision there, because theologically, both are right right? So in other words, verse 4 would say, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That he did the choosing because he loves us. It's not some kind of mechanical thing that God just did without thinking. It's that because he loved, he wanted to love us. There was nothing and God needed nothing. He still needs no one to complete him. And in the middle of all that nothingness, he decided he wanted to create us so that he could love us out of the overflow of his love. Not because he needs us to worship him, not because he needs us to complete him, but because he just wanted to love us. Okay? So in love, he chose us before the foundation of the world. And now we also see verse 5, it goes right along. In fact, maybe even better so, but it works with both. It says this, and we're not going to like some of these words, so hang with me while we work through them, okay? In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, that word for predestined, let me just back it up here. Let me just lay it out a little bit for us, all right? I'm going to say it some different ways. Let me put it to you like this. In love, he set forth. He determined. That's what the word means. It means to predestiny someone, right? That he set it forth to roll a certain way. That he's the sovereign creator of the world. He set into motion these things. He, in love, set forth or determined or predestined to adopt you. That's the key, right? To adopt you. In love, he set forth that he would adopt you and he chose you before the foundation of the world. We looked at Romans 9 last week where it talked about that Jacob and Esau were in the womb, and he said, before either one of them had done anything wrong, and not because of something they would do, but because the election of God, the choice of God, he said, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. He chose Jacob over Esau. And the argument was, well, how can he be just? And basically the end of the argument is, 
who are you, O oh man, to, to declare to God that he has to explain himself to you, right? How can what has been made say to the maker, hey, why did you do it that way? Right? We have no right to do that with him. Here we see, though, as Paul's talking about this election, as we've been chosen by God before the foundation of the world, that he, in love, predestined us for a purpose. Now, he didn't just, he's not predetermining every little thing that we're going to do necessarily according to this text. He's not saying that, you know, you're going to eat Cheetos at 5.02 today. That's not what that's about. He sovereignly could do that, but that's not what this is talking about. I know some of you, you can eat green beans at 12.15, okay? That's not what he's talking about, though. He's talking about that God himself has chosen you, that he has predestined you for adoption in love. Because he loved you, he predestined you to be his. Because he wants you right where you are. Exactly who you are. Knowing all things that would happen, he chose you before the foundation of the world. For adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And actually it says... In the Greek, for adoption, he chose you, predestined you for adoption to himself as sons. To himself as sons. In other words, he loved you so much, he wanted to bring you into his family, and so he set forth that you for sure would be his. And that he made sure that would happen, and he brings you into his family because he loves you and wants you, and he's calling you to himself. As sons, and that would include daughters, through Jesus Christ. All of it's through Christ, through Christ, through Christ. Now, where does this idea of adoption come from? We need to unpack this idea about adoption. A lot of us know about adoption because we think about little babies being adopted, right? I mean, it's always good. Cute. I had some of my best friends, been, been waiting for a child for a long time, and just got their little girl this last spring, almost a year ago. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. But that's not exactly what the Ephesians would have been thinking about when this language was used. Adoption back in this day was done more so in this context. There would be somebody who didn't have an heir, and they may, it may have had some wealth, or they had an estate, and they wanted somebody to receive their name and get all this wealth, and they wanted to carry on their legacy. So they would pick a young adult, somebody usually a man, or a man and his family, and they would pick that young adult, and they would say, hey, I want to adopt you, and I want to give you my name. I want to give you all this mine when I die, and I want you to carry it on. They would pick a young, responsible adult, and they would find somebody that they respected, and they would bring them in and do that. And at that point, in that moment, that, that child, that adopted son, that, not a child really, adopted son or daughter in that moment, all the family, they, they would then have no obligations to anyone else. They would be completely obligated to the father, and they'd be brought into that family. They'd take the name of that father, and they would then have all the wealth and all the estate would be in their name at that point. Okay? That's how it would work. And that's what the Ephesians would have been listening to and hearing when they heard this language. Again, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, he starts to get into the whys. Let's listen up. He predestined us for adoption in love as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. According to the purpose of his will. In fact, in the Greek, it's even more simple than that. It reads more like this. According to the good pleasure of his will. Okay? Out of his joy. Because he desired it to be so. Because he loves you and finds joy in you. 
He chose you and determined that he would adopt you into his family as sons and daughters, full-fledged because of Jesus, through Jesus, by the work of Jesus, so that you're in Jesus, you are his. And then he goes on and he says this statement. Read it all together again. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will or according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. Now actually, again, it would be better read to say it like this, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's a little more confusing. We'll come back to that in just a second. To the praise of the glory of his grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So here's, here's what this means, right? To the praise of his glory, of his grace. You're saying he's doing all of this ultimately. This is the bottom level. He's doing all of this ultimately for this base reason, for the praise of the glory of his grace with which he has lavished upon us in Christ. In other words, he's done everything he's done to, to bless us with all the spiritual blessings in all the heavenly places in Christ by choosing us before the foundation of the world, by predestining us for adoption to himself in love. He's done all that for the ultimate reason that the glory of his grace in Christ would be made much of, and it would be to the praise of that. See, God is ultimately going to do the right thing all the time, and he's going to give credit where it is due. He's going to praise the most wonderful of the most wonderful of the most wonderful things, the most majestic, the most glorious, the most beautiful. We'll get his utmost praise, and that happens to be himself. We look at that and think, that sounds kind of jealous. That sounds kind of kind of prideful. But it's not prideful when you are the best, right? It's truth, and he is. And so for his glory is what is his utmost reason. Oftentimes we don't like this kind of language because it interferes with our pride, right? Well, what about what I want? Well, what we wanted was to go against God. That's what we wanted. And that's where we were going. And if you're in Christ, it's only because he whipped us around and gave us his love and drew us to himself, wooing us with his Holy Spirit through the hearing of the gospel. In love, he set forth to adopt us to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. What does that mean? His grace, he's talking about, with which he has blessed us in the blood. In other words, the grace is that we deserve damnation, we deserve punishment, we deserve to be off with your head for rebelling against the king. And instead, he gives us mercy, he shows grace to us by giving us Jesus instead, to buy us in. So instead of taking off our heads, he, he, he killed Jesus on the cross so that we could be brought into the family. That's the grace. And the weightiness of that is, is, is what he's talking about here. Look, the wording again. To the praise of the glory of his grace. That word glory is often used to describe, uh, be described as weight, the weight of God. You remember the Old Testament, they called it the Shekinah glory when God would show up. His brightness, it would, everybody would feel weighted down and bow low in the room, or they would, they would see the presence of God in there, and they would just be overwhelmed. Well, that's the weightiness okay, of, of God's presence. And so when it says to the praise of the weight or weightiness, the grandeur, the majesty of his glory, of his grace, the weightiness of his grace, the magnitude of his grace, the overwhelming nature of his grace in Christ, that he has given his one and only son worth more than all of creation because we could not get to him and so he made the way through Jesus. 
That's what it means. And it's weighty. It's real. It's overwhelming when you think about it. And that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes. We're going to talk about it and think about it in a way that's going to drive us to worship him as we learn more about his sovereignty, his election, all, all these things so that we might love him because he first loved us. Because here's the point, right? He loves you more than you could ever love him. He loves you more than you ever would have loved him apart from his work in you. He loves you more. So what he's saying is then praise the glory of his grace in Christ. Praise the weightiness, the significance, the grandeur of his grace in Christ because of what he's done for us. Look, I'm going to help us out by letting us walk through five things that are the benefits of our being adopted like this. Okay, the first one we've kind of already talked about. I'm going to run through really fast. Number one, God could have left you and me condemned, condemned to eternal damnation. But instead, he chose to love us more than that in Christ. He chose to love us more. He's done that through the atoning work of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and by giving us faith by his Holy Spirit in Jesus. Here's a couple of texts to go with that. Listen, 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins. That's the death on the cross. The righteousness, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's us. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That's how he did. That's how he accomplished the adoption. John 1, 11 through 13. He came to his own, Jesus did, and his own people did not receive him. Listen. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're born of God. Right? God has loved you more, even though he could have left us to our own to be condemned, which we all deserve. The point is, he gave us Jesus instead, so we don't have to deal with that. We don't have to go through all this. He loves us so much, he gave us the one who's worth more than all of us put together, so that he would die in our place, so we could be ushered into the family. Look, he loves us more. Praise be to him. Praise the glory of his grace in Christ. Secondly, God could have left you with nothing, but he loves you more, and he gives you everything in Jesus, right? That's what we're talking about. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in all the heavenly places. And you may think, well, what about the physical blessings now? Well, you're right. There are physical blessings. I think Paul is just kind of saying these are greater than those. It doesn't negate those. It's greater than those. And in the end, what's the saying? You can't take it with you, right? So what is the greatest treasure we will have is the things that last now and then, and that is Christ. So he is the greatest treasure. Listen, Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, guess because he chose us beforehand, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that, here's the reason, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, he did all of this so that we could be brought into his family and be with him forever. And he's made step after step after step after step to occur so that that would happen for us. Jesus says it simply when he says in Luke 12, 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's, here's those words again, good pleasure. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's giving 
The king, the king is giving us the kingdom when we're the ones rebelling against the king. It should blow our minds, right? It doesn't because we, we don't see the depth of it yet. Let's continue on. Let me say it like this. In Christ, we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've been given everything. And to make that happen, he, Jesus, had to give up everything, even to the point of death, so that we could be given everything in him. He gave up everything so we could have everything in him, right? Because he loves us more. Praise the glory of the grace of Christ, right? Here's another way to see this, another benefit we have here. God could have just forgiven or pardoned you. This is where we start to get into this cheap grace stuff I'm talking about. He could have just forgiven you and pardoned you, right? He could have just done that, but he loves you more than that. He loved you so much more, he wanted to become your father. He didn't just want to just pardon you. He didn't want to just forgive you. He wanted to become your father in Christ. He could have been the righteous judge who just simply declares that you're forgiven, but instead he wanted to become your dad. And I use that word dad on purpose. You'll see why in a minute. Let me ask this question. Which is more glorious or unbelievable? Which of these two things is more glorious or unbelievable? To forgive your sins as the righteous judge that's crazy. How could he ever do that, right? That is crazy unbelievable that he would do that. But which is more glorious or unbelievable? That or to take it further by adopting you, his enemy, into his family as his sons and daughters with all the full rights and privileges that entails. In other words, we are the murderers of Jesus, his son, who's worth more than all of creation. Because of us, he was put on the cross. Because of us, he went to the cross to die. He took our sins. That's why he did it. So because of us, we're the reason why he's dead. Because we rebelled. All of us together, we're the reason. And so what he did was, instead of killing us and condemning us for all eternity under his wrath, he took his one and only son who's perfect and righteous and good, and he put him on the cross in our place. And instead of then taking our heads off because we're the ones that had him killed, he then says, no, 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 no. I'm going to bring you into my family and call you my sons and daughters. I'm going to adopt you into my family and love you. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to love you because of what Jesus did for you. Because I want you. Because before the foundation of the world, I chose you. And in love, I predestined you to be mine, to adopt you into my family. Because I love you. Which of those is more glorious and unbelievable? Listen, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's going to get really good here. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And that word Abba is the word that would be used by a small child to talk to his daddy. To cry out like, Daddy, help me. Pick me up. Take me to you. Come get me, Daddy. Like what I see every time I walk in at home. Right? I love it. It's one of the best parts of my day. One of the hardest parts is prying them off as I walk out the door. <laughs> one of the best parts is rushing to you when you come home. Right? I've been warned by many of you to enjoy it now. <laughs> And we do. But that's the idea, right? That, that you're crying out, Abba, Father, because we can, because he's our dad. It's crying out to him. 
When he sees you, listen to this, church. This is, take it a step further. If we don't get it yet, I don't think. We need to push it further. I've been chewing on this all week, and I'm still not there yet. So let's walk with it together. When he sees you, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. We get that, right? Because of what Jesus did for you. But now, because you are in Christ, if you put your hope and faith in Jesus, if you repented of your sin and believed in Jesus as your Savior, if you were his, because you were in Christ, he doesn't merely see you as righteous, but he loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. That's crazy. I mean, those of us that, that willfully go against him over and over again, they're the reason why he had to go to the cross, that we're the reason why Jesus had to die, that he loves us just as much as he loves his son Jesus. Yes, that's what the Bible's telling us, that we are co-heirs with Jesus, that he loves us the same. He sees the righteousness of Christ on us. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the perfection of Jesus, and he loves us the way he loves his son Jesus. That should blow our minds. We can never deserve it, and yet he loves us that much. This is the kind of Jesus I'm talking about. Paul talks about it in Colossians. He says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The one who deserves all the praise and all the glory. And the Father gives us that kind of love too. That changes everything for us. Changes everything. God wanted to be your Father so much that he gave up his perfect good Son who's worth more than all of creation combined so that he could gain us imperfect bad sons and daughters who can never live up to our older brother's legacy. That's how much he loves us. He loves us more. He loves us more. Praise the glory of his grace in Christ. Adore him because he's done that for us. Give him our praise and adoration. Let our days be spent around glorying on the throne of Christ. Praise him. Listen, God could have even just declared us righteous, but he loves you more. So he works in you and for you to make you righteous in Christ. Listen, he, may, he works in you and for you to make you righteous in Christ. Listen, you may think right now that if, if, if I really knew what you've been doing when nobody was looking, that I wouldn't want you here. Or if God really, man, if God, he knows what I've done, he doesn't, he doesn't accept me like that. Look, I'm telling you right now, God loves you right where you are right now. But he loves you too much to leave you where you are. He loves you too much. He loves you exactly where you are. If you've been wallowing in your sin, he loves you that much that he would give Jesus for you to bring you into his family. He loves you so much to do that, he loves you too much to leave you there. And he's calling to you today to turn away from those things and turn back to him. He's called out to you from before the foundation of the earth. He's been wanting you. And he loves you so much more that he actually gives you his Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you when you're his. Listen to these marks of true Christianity, not cheap grace, not tongue-in-cheek Christianity. Listen to this, Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Listen up. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So you might want to ask yourself, am I really a Christian? Am I really the person I say I am? Because some people, I'm telling you right now, there'll be a lot of people in the last day, Jesus says, who will cry out to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? I mean, who's done that in here, right? Who stood up and just prophesied the name of Jesus? Who's cast demons out of somebody, right? And he tells those people, he says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. There will be people in the last day that think they're in that are not his. Please, church, let no one in this place be that person. Nobody has to. Repent today and put your hope and trust in Christ for real. Don't, don't put it on the edge. Don't wait thinking that you've got it. Don't, don't live in religion. Go to the person who loves you so much he wants to be your father, not just your righteous maker. Run to him today. Turn from those things and turn to the Lord. He says, for all those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's Mark 2, that we will be crying out to the Lord, Father, Daddy, help me. I can't do this, but I need help. Come to me, help me. I want you. I want you. Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Being led by the Spirit, calling out, Abba, Father. In other words, what he's saying is, listen to this, next verse, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You will know you're his because you'll be guided and led by the Holy Spirit. Be Spirit-led. You'll be listening to the Holy Spirit. You will walk according to the Holy Spirit. Look, I'm telling you right now, you will do what God wants you to do as he leads you. You'll know the Spirit's leading you, and you'll be crying out to the Father for help, to, to be with him, just because you want him. Those are marks of Christianity. If that doesn't sum up your life, you need to repent and believe in Jesus today for the first time. Or maybe you've fallen away. Repent and turn back to Jesus. Come back to him today. Don't wait. God also loves you more and so much so that he disciplines us. I don't know about you, but I didn't like getting disciplined when I was a kid. Anybody like that? Some of you are weirdos and you liked it, I guess, some of you. I heard a few no's. I, I didn't like it, and my kids don't like it. And I don't like doing it, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't like being the guy that has to discipline. In fact, sometimes I beg my kids, please, please, please don't do that again so I don't have to discipline you, please, right? Please don't make me do that. Not usually, it does not work, No. Look, the same thing God is leading us. Just, just obey me. Just obey me. Show me you love me by obeying me. That's what I tell my kids. If you, the Bible says if you love God, you'll obey him. Right? And that's our problem. We don't do that. So he disciplines us because he loves us. Because he loves us. Listen, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, the author of Hebrews says. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood like Jesus is the implication. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Quote, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. If he loves you, he will discipline you. Are you walking in sin and don't feel the Holy Spirit disciplining you? Are you walking in sin and don't hear God saying, hey, 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 whoa, 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 stop. Don't do that. 
Come back, come back. If you don't hear that, you've either walked away for so long you can't even discern the voice of the Lord or you've never known him in the first place. Either way, turn away from that jump and turn to the Lord, brothers and sisters. Turn back to the Lord. He disciplines us if we are his. Look, it happened to me yesterday. I've been confessing a lot. I'm going to confess another one. Are you ready? We're going to be a confessing church one way or the other. I'm telling you. The Lord has been all over me until about 10.30 today, and I finally felt relief because he's been disciplining me by, by letting me feel the guilt and the self, just not liking myself because I did not obey the Spirit. I wasn't even listening to the Spirit. I just missed the whole opportunity. I had two guys from a local cult come to my door and knock on my door to talk to me about their cult. Cult, C-U-L-T, in case I'm not saying that clearly, Right? You know what I said? I, I just kind of said, well, who are y'all with? And they told me. And I said, I'm a Baptist pastor. I had a kid on this hand, two kids screaming inside, another two. I don't know where they were, right? And I just said, I'm a Baptist pastor. I would love to talk with you, but it's not going to go like you think it's going to go today at this door. So if you want to do that, I'm here. And they were like, no, that's good. We'll see you later. And they turned around and left. I'm not sure if it was the kids or the Baptist part or pastor. I don't know what scared them off. And it's kind of funny when you say it like that, but I, I immediately, when I closed the door, I felt the Holy Spirit grab me and say, who are you to turn away an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus to go to folks that don't know me? Who do you think you are? I brought them to your door. And that discipline of the Lord hurts, but it is good because it proves he loves me and he wants me to be shaped into the image of Christ who gave his life always for the glory of the Father. If you haven't felt the discipline of the Lord, brothers, sisters, please search and ask, plead with God to make it known if you are his. It is a gift and a grace of God to be disciplined. It is good because he loves you. He loves you more. Ultimately, he even disciplined his son in our place on the cross so that we didn't have to endure forever discipline and wrath. Praise the glory of His grace in Christ, that He loves us enough to discipline us, that He loves us enough to give us the Holy Spirit. He could have kept it all legal and superficial. He could have done all those things in His relationships with us, but instead He loves you and me so much if we're in Christ that He brought us into a faith family, a new family, where we feel the, the, the pressures of having to walk the straight lines, where we are encouraged to do the right things, where we have accountability, where we have to be real with one another and confessional with one another because we love Him so much that we want to love one another the same way. He gave us that. He adopts you into His own family where you can have deeper and more intimate relationships. Listen to the language. The same author, Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, speaks to Timothy, who's an elder at Ephesus, where the letter we're talking about here, right? He says, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Look at the familial language. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. As I was preaching earlier in the early service, this was the moment at which God got a hold of my spirit again and said, say this. <laughs> and I hesitated. And he pushed me again. And I said, yes, Lord. And I'm going to say it again because I feel the same pressure to do so. 
although it's hard, brothers and sisters, but especially my brothers. I know that there are some of us that struggle with things, especially as we look at other people of the opposite sex, and we talk about people in certain ways that we shouldn't talk, and we think about them in our hearts in ways we shouldn't think about them. You know, the scriptures lay forth, as is delineated here, there's only three kinds of relationships in the Bible for opposite sex people. You realize that? There is parent to child, like father to daughter or mother to son. There is spouse, wife and husband. And then there is brother and sister. I tell this to youth all the time when they ask, hey, how far can you go before you get married? And I say, well, if you feel like it's okay to French kiss your sister, that's weird and not okay. I'm telling you now, right? So you shouldn't go there, right? Because that's your sister in Christ. Okay, until you're married... You do things that brothers and sisters do, not things that married people do. Okay, and that's just, that's, those are hard lines to live by. I mean, all of us have areas to repent in our lives of, of struggles in certain areas. Some people struggle with this. Let me tell you, brothers especially, maybe ladies struggle with this too, but brothers, if you look upon your sisters with eyes and hearts that lead you to lust after them, brothers, repent now. We're called to holiness and blamelessness. Don't look upon them in ways other than the way Christ wants you to see them. Don't speak of them in ways other than adoring them and lifting them up in Christ. Don't don't do things that would hurt them. Love them. Care for them. Care for them with your eyes. Care for them with your mouth. Care for them with with your body. Don't do things that would draw them away from the love of Christ. We have to be pure and holy, brothers. I tell my sons all the time, don't hurt your sisters. You're there to protect them. That's who we are, brothers. That's who we are. We need to repent if that's an area we're struggling in. We need to be holy and pure and blameless because Christ can do that in us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to do that in us, to fight. That's what that verse was talking about earlier in Hebrews 12. In your struggle against sin, have you not resisted the point of shedding your blood? Look, God loves you so much that he not only created you to be in his presence, but he sent Jesus to become one of us and die for us so that he could then send the Holy Spirit to live in us until we can one day finally be with him in his presence to love him and enjoy him forever. That is love. That is grace. That is unestimable, undeserved, unmerited, extravagant, overwhelming grace. It's weighty grace. It's not cheap grace. That's the love of the Father towards us since the, before the foundation of the world. That he chose you to love you in Christ. And he sent Jesus to win us and to pay the price for us. Let us not trample the blood of Christ with trivial sins. But let us make much of the king and live our lives in a way that gives him glory all the time. All the time in every way, everything we do. Not because we need to do that to earn it, but because he already paid the price. Let us be back for him. Let us love him for we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live, but Christ that lives within us. Amen? That's what this is about. This is who we live for. This is what we're here to do. God loves us more than we could ever love him. So let us now try to love him because he first loved us. Let us turn from our ways today. Brothers and sisters, today may be the first day you realize you need Christ. If so, repent and believe in Jesus. Or maybe this is the thousandth time you've heard this message and you've loved Jesus for a long time, but you keep falling down in your sin. Repent today and believe in Jesus. His blood is sufficient. And he knows right where you are and he still wants you. He wants you. Because he chose you for the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined you for adoption to himself according to the 
good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace in Christ Jesus, our Savior, our brother, our sacrifice. Let us give ourselves to him because he gave himself to us. Not to earn it, not to repay him, but simply because we're overwhelmed with the glory of his grace in his death and resurrection for us on the cross. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song. Wherever you are, deal with the Lord where he has led you to to deal with him. Whatever he convicted you in, do it. Repent, believe. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'll be down front. If you need somebody to to love on you, I, I will do that here, to do that as your pastor. But you don't need me. You don't need an intermediary. Jesus is our intermediary. He's at the right hand of the Father. And by the Holy Spirit, you can pray to him, and he can give you the forgiveness you need. And he can give you the the boldness you need. I'll be here for you until everybody's gone. But let us sing and worship or pray and worship or or, or cry and worship or run and tell everybody and worship because blessed be the God and Father. Worship, adore the God and Father of Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in all the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us. He predestined us for adoption to himself. To the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace in Christ. Let us make much of Jesus, brothers and sisters. Father, I thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. I pray that you would help us by drawing us to yourself, Lord. Don't just help us to get us beyond something or next level on something, but Lord, work in us to break through our sins so that we might be redeemed if people don't know you. And if we know you, but are, 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 we know we need help, we know we need sins forgiven, we know we need your grace, the weightiness, the, the, the majesty of the, of the fullness of your grace as it's found in Christ. So Lord, just help us to trust in him and give you the glory. And I ask that in Jesus' name.